This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Welcome to a special compilation episode of Friend of Maryland. Instead of a brand new show this week, what you're going to get are some highlights from some of the best interviews that have been done here at Friend of Maryland over the last couple of years. Enjoy! Joining me today is Luria, a well-rounded performer determined to be the world's first singing, dancing, plus-size, visually impaired mermaid. Luria, thank you so much for coming on the show today. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. How long have you known you wanted to be a mermaid? (laughs) Uh, I could swim before I could walk because of my visual impairment. So like always, water has always been home for me. But uh, not until Splash did I go, oh, it's that. I just thought I wanted to be a dolphin beforehand. But then it was like... And then you saw Daryl Hannah and you knew. Um, I love that film. That's one of my dad's favorites, actually. So we would watch that a lot. um, Watch that a lot when I was little. Um, I have to admit, I don't probably associate like singing and dancing so much with mermaids, but maybe you can kind of help me understand the, uh, the connection there. Well, I've always been a singer ever since I was a little kid. Um, I used to stand on the bleachers at local baseball games and sing quote unquote opera. Um, (laughs) and I'm guessing that was like, without you, like that wasn't part of what was supposed to happen at the game. You were just adding in your bit. Yeah. (laughs) That was like at the end when I was bored and all the adults were talking. (laughs) Um, but no, I've always been a singer. I've always loved singing. That was initially my goal as a career is to be a singer. And then when I found mermaiding several years ago, I realized that there's the whole siren and mermaid mistake that mermaids sing. So it just all gelled in perfectly with that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, I can totally see that. Uh, when I think about, for some reason, like, I have in my mind, like, this ridiculously um, fatlicious mermaid with just really luscious hair. And there's a lot of glitter. Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know how the glitter got involved, but in my mind, the visual image that I'm constructing, there's a lot of glitter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, uh, my, my persona, my, uh, creation, who I am, my personality as a mermaid is an Arctic mermaid. So everything crystal, rhinestone, Aurora Borealis, like I've always said that I'm a quartz junkie. So if it's shiny and sparkly, I am down and I almost literally cover myself and everything shiny I can find I have a silver tail everything (laughs) (laughs) 
So I was obviously sensing the glitter and the sparkly um, that was coming through uh, over the line. Um, what kind of, so, I mean, obviously there were the top of the bleachers at the end of the game um, performances of, of the, of the operas. What kind of performances do you do now as a mermaid? Uh, initially I would do some stage performances and all that good stuff. But once I realized that being a, a mermaid, a professional mermaid was a thing, um, I've performed at festivals and Renaissance fairs and pirate fests and conventions. Um, I, we teach at conventions and sometimes I go and sing or dance on stage as, as part of that. Uh, there's a thriving entertainment community here in Portland, and it will return once the, the, the Pandal Brot is done. Um, <laughs> and uh, I would perform around town on stage and at birthday parties and all kinds of places. And I mean, how do people respond? I mean, like in my mind, again, especially with all the sparkly and the glitter, like I can't imagine it being anything other than joyful, both for you as the performer, but also as the, the, the audience, the people you are performing for. Is that largely the experience? Definitely. The, the gigs that I get when people sign me on, they know who and what they're getting. They know that they're getting a fluffy mermaid. Um, unfortunately, there's not as many gigs for things like birthdays and corporate events that I have found, I'm, I'm guessing because of my size. But I still um, I perform at Celtic fairs and all these other places, and we connect beforehand, so they know what's coming, and people really seem to enjoy it. the The most I've ever gotten was one child once commenting on my size, and she said, "Oh, you're a big mermaid," and I said, "Yes, I am, baby. Mermaids come in all shapes and sizes." And she said, "Okay," and ran away. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, kids are kids are pretty awesome in that sense like while we know that they internalize anti-fat attitudes at quite a young age um they also don't need difficult explanations for most things um and so yeah just you know when they comment on you know our largeness just simply being like yes you know bodies come in all shapes and sizes that's usually enough for them they're like oh okay and <laughs> It isn't some long drawn out thing that, you know, it has to be for sometimes uh, for other people. When you're singing, are these songs that you've written and created yourself or are these known songs to the groups? I do mostly solo acapella stuff. Some of it is covers, most of it's covers, uh, but I do have a few original pieces, some short little ditties, and one full-length piece that I uh, entitled um, Mermaid Not Manatee, all about oh. teaching people <laughs> the, the, the misconception that manatees must have been the, the mythical mermaids people mm. thought. This actual mermaid going, are you serious? Who would mistake the two? I'm a mermaid. Hello. <laughs> Look at all my sparkly shiny. Manatees exactly. don't have this. They're gorgeous, <laughs> but they don't have the sparkly shiny. Beautiful creature, different creature entirely. <laughs> so, um, swimming before you could walk, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the movie Splash, now performing professionally um, mm -hmm. as a beautiful sparkly mermaid. 
how did you like what what how what how did you transition into that? Like, how did you first start performing um, as a mermaid? And how did you convince other people that a fat, sparkly mermaid was exactly what was missing um, from, you know, their event or their festival? Long story short, I went to Wikiwachi Springs at 16 and saw these other mermaid performers and went, oh my gosh, this is possible. I want to do that. That's what I want to be. But at that age, I was like, oh, they, they'd only want me to be Ursula because I'm a bigger girl. And I couldn't handle that. I was like, no, I want to be the protagonist, not the antagonist. Um, so I sat on it for a while, but I watched how tales started to slowly come into the market. And it was slowly something that people could do. And eventually, while I was researching Portland, Oregon, uh, I just decided on a whim to search Portland and mermaids and saw that there was a group here that uh, the Northwest Merpod, that all these people just came for fun to swim and do all these things. And eventually I learned about uh, Una's Traveling Fantasy Cove, became a part of that. And it's all because I saw when I was Googling Portland and mermaids, I saw a plus size mermaid, found out that she was part of this Una's Traveling Mm -hmm. Fantasy Cove. fudge sorry about that um but uh that this was a thing that was possible I was like oh my god Portland has big mermaids I can be a big mermaid in Portland I'm going and that's where it all started um I'm no longer a part of Una's Traveling Fantasy Cove I branched out uh, to do my own thing but um yeah that's where I got my start she really taught me that Mers can come in all shapes and sizes. We had mers of color. We had mermen. We had uh, just all kinds of people in the pod back when I started. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just Googled Una Mermaid Fantasy Cove. So I, I'm taking a look um, on my screen right now. And oh my goodness, um, I have never heard of such a thing. I am now like completely obsessed with how I managed to convince someone in New Zealand to do something similar um, because I want to go see a live action mermaid show. (laughs) Most people don't realize there are mermaids everywhere. One of my, my, my first ever mermaid performer hero, Medusa Reina Marina, she's in Florida and performs regularly at the rec bar. So you can go to Florida and not just see the week watching mermaids. There are other mermaids there. There are mermaids in California. There's a place called the Dive Bar where they can go watch mermaids perform in a great big tank where they have drinks. Of course, once everyone is safe, these things are possible. Um, There are mermaids in Japan. So basically, if you want to become a mermaid, you can just Google or in Facebook do a search your area and mermaids and you will very likely find a pod. So it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I think I speak for everyone listening to the show, um, Iluria, when I say thank you for introducing us um, to this wonderful world of um, fat mermaids. I am so excited uh, to do a bit of a deeper dive online now that I know that they exist. I promise if I ever come to Portland, uh, I will make sure that I manage to come see you perform uh, because it just sounds so delightful. um, And it definitely is now something that 
I, I only ever had a few other things on my list for Portland. One of them, of <laughs> course, being Voodoo Donuts. Um, and, you know, n- now I have come see you, come see you perform. Um, if there are other people listening to the show who are keen uh, to learn more about you or to come see you perform or to follow you, um, how can they find you online? You can basically Google my name, Y-L-L-U-R-I-A, and find me. I am at Iloria on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Mermaid Iloria on Facebook, and I have Iloria.weebly.com. But mostly Facebook, TikTok, you know, like all the social media. And there are actually places for other MERS to go or MERS to be. So there are two places. I have my own little group called um, No Average Everyday Aerial on Facebook, which is for all MERS who might feel like they don't fit the classic Ariel or Madison stereotype. And there's also the Society of Fat Mermaids on Facebook. And they have Instagram and other places. So you can go find other fluffy MERS. Yeah, now I'm so excited. I have to go check out the Society for Fat Mermaids on Facebook. Um, Eloria, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was such a treat to chat with you. And I really am. Like, it's on my list. I promise it's going to happen someday. I'm going to come to Portland uh, and I will figure out a way that I can see you perform. Hey, I'm looking to move. So if anybody wants to oh. hire a mermaid at an aquarium or a zoo around the world, I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, maybe we'll just have to figure out a way to bring you to New Zealand. Yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Joining me today is Lauren, a fat queer registered psychologist who specializes in social justice and feminist therapy with a focus on the intersection of food, body, sexuality, and self-liberation. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. So Lauren, tell me a, a little bit more just about yourself um, general. Yeah, I mean, I am a Canadian. I practice in in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, I have a passion for fat activism, fat liberation, sort of all things social justice. Um, I am also a cat mom of four beautiful cats. Um, And I feel like that's probably me in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. Um I, I think that's an excellent kind of nutshell to be in. Um, yeah. Lauren, what kind of drew you into wanting to be a psychologist and doing that kind of work? Well, I feel like I've always been the person that, and this is a story that I've heard from a lot of psychologists that I work with, that often people are really just, you, you become that friend within the group that other people come to talk to you. Um, sort of get naturally drawn into the helper role. Um, I think people, some people are more, I guess, sensitive than other people to the emotions and moods of others. I don't think it's necessarily a a bad thing or a good thing to have those types of traits, but I find that some people just have those traits and it's really hard to not be aware of how other people are feeling. Um, And I think 
because I'm somebody who identifies as a highly sensitive person, um, that I'm just aware of this, the amount of suffering in the world. And I felt drawn to try to do something to help it. And um, I really found that calling through one-on-one individual, as well as some group work, um, to just really be that trans- one small transformative piece that I can do as my part. Well, and I mean, you know, transformative, definitely small, like, you know, I'd suggest probably not. Um, Sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> yeah, no, that, and, that, and that's fair. Um, and I guess, you know, even the smallest, what is it, like even the smallest ripple in the pond or, you know, whatever, it can make huge differences that we don't necessarily see. That's true. What, um, and you might not be able to actually speak, speak to this, um, but, you know, I'm curious in terms of, you know, you, we purposely have introduced you as, as being fat and queer. Um, and I'm wondering if you kind of have any self-reflection on how that might make you a different kind of psychologist than maybe, you know, the other people that you were in school with or in training with, or, you know, in a clinic with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's something about, well, I mean, I, I know that having lived experience with something, gives you a different perspective on it. Um, And I think that a lot of people are also looking for therapists that reflect their own lived experience. I don't think it necessarily means that you have to be exactly the same as other people. I think it's actually good to have a little bit of that boundary where you are on the periphery of maybe what they've experienced, but you're not right in there experiencing it with them. Um, But that people come to me and they say, I've like, I've never been to a fat therapist before. Um, they don't always necessarily know about the queerness unless it kind of comes in. Um, but the fatness is something that you can't really hide. You know, it's something that is is there, is is, sure. is, is, is kind of it's in the room, right? Yes. Um, as much as other like people when we're a mixed company and we call ourselves fat and they're like, no, 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 no. It yeah. is in fact, yeah, not not exactly something that you can choose not to disclose. Exactly, right? <laughs> So I find that that's the part that most people would be, I guess, aware of or focus on. But um, people are, like I've told people before, that just sitting in front of a therapist that looks like them is something that was um, like radical for them. Um, that they knew just sort of by reading my website or having a phone consult with me prior, they knew that I wasn't going to be somebody who was going to tell them to cure their depression by exercising more, um, or was going to say that only if, if they ate better then they would feel better. Um, there's been a lot of, I've heard a lot of stories that have made me feel and it's, I guess it started feeling like it was kind of unbelievable like people would come in and say, oh, I've been to a therapist and they've told me this, this and this. And I would just sort of be in shock and be like, well, like, I know I believe you <laughs> and I know that that happened to you, but it's unbelievable to me that that's still happening in our profession. Yeah. Um, and so part of my role is has also been to try and educate my colleagues as well. Right. To be the one that, hey, instead of talking to your clients about what their experience has been. If you, if you want some more background information about what this is like, what it's like to move in the world as a fat person or as a queer person, like come and talk to me or talk about the, talk to this group of people that I 
hang out with because we can tell you about it. Um, because as therapists, it really is our job to not make the client the one that has to educate us. Well, but I mean, that, that sounds like more labor for you, you know, that emotional labor, especially, um, that, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that, that oppressed people, you know, almost always have to almost seamlessly, like c- continuously, you know, have to give to other people to educate them and to make them more sensitive and make them more aware and stuff. So, I mean, I think it's incredibly generous, you know, for you to kind of put yourself in that position for your colleagues, but, you know, far out, like you should get paid for that too. <laughs> no, <laughs> you should get absolutely. extra, like hazard pay even, right? Absolutely. Like, well, you know, yeah, how many times do you have to say like, quit being an asshole to fat people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I told I, I, I was just in this, and this is just a short tangent, but I was in, um, not in my private practice work, but I was in um, just a, a, another uh, counseling space. Um, and we were talking about ordering new furniture. And one of my call, and I had made a point of saying, like, you know what, we need some chairs that don't have arms on them. Um, and I was very much pushing for that. Um, or at least a, a chair that's not as, like, as low to the ground so that people were able to more easily get out of it and things like that. Um, and one of my colleagues, a, a thin colleague or a smaller size colleague, just turned to me and said, why? What does it matter if Ed Hart has arms? And I just looked at her dead in the eyes and said, well, I'm fat and it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and she kind of sort of was like, was taken aback, but it's Check really... your privilege. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's mm-hmm. these types of things that really sort of opened my eyes to the fact that even though being aware of our bias is really drilled into us I mean in some programs more than others I think but I know in my program that's something that we focused on um even even if that's a part of your education that it's something that is an ongoing process it needs to be um and I know that I don't do everything right I can't possibly do everything right um but the only sort of promise I make to my clients is that I will be open to feedback I will ask for your consent before I do things. Um, I will be transparent in why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I will engage in an ongoing process of checking my own bias and privilege. Um, Because I can't guarantee that I'll do it right. But I'll be open. Yeah. And I mean, as you said, you know, the kind of need for ongoing professional development. And I I mean, I would argue actually like specific, specifically targeted stuff, Um, you know, so it's really great if part of the education that's given to people that are going to end up in these kind of therapeutic settings is about like recognizing privilege and bias and oppression and stuff. But like they actually need stuff specifically about thin privilege and fat mm-hmm. oppression and and not just obviously for that one group, but for all, you know, the other groups that are commonly going to be through those doors, um, you know, because for a lot of people, they, you know, and I'm sure you, you know, experience this as well. But I mean, we can look at, um, you know, some of the most progressive people when it comes to issues of gender or sexual orientation or race or other, you know, class, and yet completely just fall down when it comes to issues of fat liberation, you know, having, um, you know, having an appreciation and empathy for one kind of oppression does not in any way, unfortunately, mean that that is going to exist for other kinds. And uh, I actually just contributed to a book, I think it's going to be specifically an Australian textbook for mm-hmm. people studying um, to be counselors in Australia. But they invited me to contribute a chapter about fat stigma um, oh, wow. and fatness in the therapeutic relationship. Um, and I drew really heavily from there was a special issue 
of a journal called Women in Therapy um, that was specifically just about fatness that mm. came out, I think, just last year. And I drew really heavily from that special issue, um, you know, when I was writing my chapter about, you know, things to consider, uh, the ways that, you know, fatness, yeah, interplays in that therapeutic context. So, yeah, I think the work that you're doing is incredible. Um, I hope that it feeds you, like, both literally, like, yes. <laughs> You know, but also, you know, like in a soulful kind of way and that you, you know, continue to, yeah, continue to find that it does that because I don't actually know for sure, but I would imagine that that line of work is a common work for people to experience burnout, um, you know, just not being able to continue giving of themselves. So I really do hope that you've got a good, a good support system around you and, you know, please know that you can count me in amongst that. Um, <laughs> and if there's anything that. I can ever do uh, to help kind of support you in the work that you do. Lauren, um, if there are people listening who, especially like, obviously if they're in your part of the country in Canada, you're yes. in Edmonton, is that right? Yes. In the province of Alberta. Cool. Um, where can they like go to like find you like online or, you know, um, in the paper, in the paper, like in the white pages, <laughs> yellow pages, are those still a thing? How can people find you, Lauren? Help the people find you. Help the fat queers find you. Um, so my website is ignitewellness.ca. My business is Ignite Counseling and Wellness Services. Um, I'm also on Facebook under Ignite uh, Counseling and Wellness Services. Um, my personal email is Lauren. L-A-U-R-E-N at uh, ignitewellness.ca if anyone is interested in in reaching out or connecting with me about anything. Brilliant. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a real treat. Yeah. Thank you so much again for for doing this and everything that you do for for the movement. Awesome. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at AOL.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favorite show.